0: You're listening to the yoga teacher resource podcast, knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. If you own or run a business in 2022, you need an email list. Yes, this is true, even if you get most of your students from somewhere else hate email or believe you're a terrible writer. Since this is a podcast for yoga teachers, let's quickly go over which yoga teachers need an email list and which ones don't. If you think of your teaching as a hobby and you teach only for yoga studios or other organizations that communicate with your students for you, and you also have no desire to communicate with them outside of class, you don't need an email list. However, if you sometimes run your own events or you want to be able to let your students know when class is canceled or share resources with them, then you probably want to have an email list. And if you have the intention of ever teaching full time and making your entire living as a yoga teacher, you definitely need an email list. So why is an email list so important? Why do I set email lists apart from every other type of communication channel? I believe that email is the one essential way for you to communicate with your students. Every other promotion and communication channel, I think that there are multiple options. You can use social media or not use it. You can use text messaging or not. You can write blog posts or not. You can start a podcast or not. But the one non-negotiable is you need an email list. There's three main reasons I believe email is so important. One is that people are used to and comfortable with receiving invitations to sign up for things via email. Yes, you can definitely overdo it, but it feels much less intrusive than other forms of communication like texting or even social media. Two, people are empowered to opt in or opt out of your list as long as you use best practices for email marketing, because you are emailing people who've specifically raised their hands to say they want to hear from you. Three, while email's not a perfect channel of communication, it's a much more reliable way to reach people than social media, and much cheaper than paid advertising. Organic reach on social media covers somewhere between 2 and 8% of your followers, while a healthy email list will have open rates up to 40 to 50%. That is an incredible difference. That is a much better reach. Not only that, but including links in your emails is not gonna affect their deliverability rates the same way that including links will on social media. Facebook specifically will reduce your reach in the algorithm if you include a link meaning a way to take action on what you're offering in your posts. So now that you understand why you need an email list as a yoga teacher in 2022, let's dive into how to start, nurture, and grow your own. When you start your email list, it's really helpful to have at least a rough sense of two things. One, who do you want on your email list? And two, what's in it for them? You'll come up with these things with the full knowledge that they're almost certainly gonna change over time. Your understanding of who you wanna talk to, your strategy for how you'll connect with them, and your ultimate intentions for what actions you want them to take, all of these are almost certainly gonna shift as your business matures and grows. So as you jump into this project, it's more important to have a sense of who you're targeting, a sense of what's in it for them, and maybe a sense of what actions you want them to take than it is to have the right audience, the right value, or the right actions. By taking action, by making choices, and by practicing the skill set of building your email marketing skills, you're going to begin to clarify who it's for, what really works to attract people to sign up, and what works to invite them to work with you over the long run. At the very basic level, In order to officially start your email list, you need something called an email marketing or email broadcasting platform. These include services like MailChimp, ConvertKit, ActiveCampaign, or Constant Contact. In this episode, I'm gonna talk specifically about ConvertKit because it's the one that I use, and I'll get into it in more detail towards the end of this episode. These services allow you to send a single email, broadcast to dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of people while still staying in compliance with anti-spam laws and reducing the chances that your email is going to be marked as spam. These email marketing platforms all have their own set of features, and they each have different deliverability rates. This means that depending on which service you use, more or fewer of your emails are going to land in the inboxes of your subscribers versus the spam folder or just not even showing up at all. Now, to be really clear, this email marketing platform that I'm talking about, MailChimp or ConvertKit, is separate from whatever email service you use to email individuals or even small groups of people in a non-marketing capacity. So this is not Gmail, Yahoo, or Hotmail. One way to keep the two types of emails straight is by calling the emails that you send to individuals emails. You send emails through Gmail. And calling the marketing emails that you send to your entire list at once broadcasts. Keeping these straight is important because it helps you understand why you need to sign up for a separate service to send these mass emails versus just blind carbon copying everyone on Gmail. Technically, you're not supposed to use Gmail to send a marketing email, to send an email to a bunch of your students or your clients to invite them to sign up for a workshop. Some people do it, and they're probably small enough that they won't ever get in trouble for it, but they also won't be able to take advantage of all the benefits and features that come with an email marketing platform. Okay, so now that you know the difference between an email marketing platform like MailChimp or ConvertKit and an email service provider like Gmail or Yahoo, Keep in mind that for the rest of this episode, I'm really talking about the former, about email marketing platforms. When you use these email marketing platforms to send one email to many people at once, you can track a bunch of information, like how many people opened each email, which people opened, how many clicked a link, and even which people clicked each specific link in your email. So once you've signed up for an email marketing platform, you technically have an email list, but you probably wanna get some subscribers onto that list. And to do that, you have to ask yourself, what is in it for them? Now, if there are some students, supporters, and friends who you have a personal relationship with, it might be enough to say, hey, get on my email list and I'll keep you updated on everything. If you join my email list, you'll stay in the know. And this is gonna be effective if you have a really strong relationship with the person. It used to be way more effective to do that than it is today. In 2022, most of us are on so many email lists already that we're a bit more choosy about which email list we want to sign up for. Usually there needs to be some kind of incentive, some reason for us to sign up. And then in order for us to remain a subscriber, there needs to be some value that we're getting on a regular basis from being on this email list. Essentially, you can think of this as a FOMO component. What will folks be missing out on if they're not on your email list? So when it comes to this reason for being on your email list, there's two main things. The first is a lead magnet, which is the momentary reason, the reason in the present moment why they should sign up now and not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now. And two, the ongoing reason, the value that you're going to provide through your email that prevents them from unsubscribing once they've got that first freebie or incentive. So let's talk about lead magnets, freebies, incentive, that first reason for them to sign up. Ideally, it's going to provide something that's really easy for your new subscriber to use and to benefit from without too much effort on their part. This is especially the case when you're just starting your list. You might see other yoga teachers with very in depth lead magnets, such as a five day challenge or a three part video series. That's something you can think about for the future. But in the beginning, you want to create a simple version of whatever it is that you're thinking about so it doesn't take you a ton of time. Because you want to test out how compelling the topic is for the people in your audience or the people that you're connected to or even the people that you're trying to attract to your email list before you spend a ton of time, energy, and possibly money creating something bigger and more in-depth. Remember how I said that potential email subscribers in 2022 are a lot choosier about the email lists that they sign up for than they were 10 years ago? The same goes for your lead magnet. People are much choosier about the lead magnets that they are interested in downloading, A lot of yoga teachers will offer a free meditation or a free yoga class, and that can still work for sure, especially if there's something about that meditation or something about that yoga class that they can't get just by searching on YouTube. So this is where knowing the answer to the question, who is this for, comes in. If you can get hyper-specific with something specialized about your freebie, then You'll be able to frame it and talk about it in a way that the people you're looking for understand, wow, this is really for me. I really want this. This is valuable for me. So for example, saying something like, download my ease anxiety meditation is very different from saying, download this meditation. Specificity is powerful. Once you have an idea for your freebie or your lead magnet, I recommend that you test your idea out before you spend a lot of time making it pretty. This could be as simple as putting out a social media post saying, I'm thinking about creating X on this topic. Drop an emoji in the comments if this is something you would like. Then you can get a sense and gauge the level of interest among the people you're connected to. Or you could do a poll on social media where you throw out two or three topic ideas and let people vote. If you have an existing email list and you want to add a lead magnet to it, you could send an email out saying, hey, I'm going to create a special resource just for you and ask them to reply to get on the list to receive it when it's ready. These are all different ways that you could test your ideas. Then based on the response you get, you can either go ahead and create it or keep trying if you're not getting the response you were hoping for. For example, if only 10% of the people on your list respond that they want your resource, then you might want to tweak it. When I've done something similar in the past, I've gotten a response rate of close to 70 to 80% of my list, which side note shows me that there's a lot more people paying attention to my emails than actually opening them because I have a 40 to 50% open rate. Okay, back to the topic at hand. You have a sense of your lead magnet. You've tested the idea and your idea is generating some buzz. So you've created a quick version of it. And then it's time to start connecting with people specifically one-on-one and inviting them to join your list to receive this resource. Of course, you can definitely also post your lead magnet on social media and whatever, whatever other communication channels you have, for example, announcing it in your classes, but for your first 100 subscribers, I want you to think about one-to-one connections and also recognize that you might need to invite two to three to 400 people to get that first 100 subscribers. Now, I know that sounds labor-intensive. It might sound like it would take a really long time, but here's the thing, by doing it this way, by hand-selecting the first people on your email list, you're seeding your list with people who are gonna open your emails That is gonna improve your deliverability rates and it's also gonna inspire you to keep going. As I said, there's nothing stopping you from also sharing your lead magnet with multiple people at once, but I recommend that you focus on the intention to invite people individually and think of those mass shares more like a bonus. You never know, you may get lucky and end up with a whole bunch of people on your list at once through a mass share, it could go viral, But don't bank on it, because if you bank on those mass shares, you're going to be disappointed, whereas if you focus on the one-to-one invitations, you're going to have slow but steady growth. So when you think about inviting someone to join your email list and receive your freebie, I wonder how that feels to you. I hope that it feels really inspiring and exciting. But for a lot of yoga teachers, a lot of human beings, fear and, and doubt, is what's going to come up. Imposter syndrome. Basically, aversion. Now, as yoga practitioners, we know that whenever aversion comes up, that is something interesting. That's something to look at, to turn towards and face and ask yourself, what's going on here? Because we know that aversion is one of the five obstacles to our practice. I've had a lot of conversations with yoga teachers who face this type of aversion, and it generally boils down to either a fear of bothering people or a fear of being perceived as pushy or unethical. In order for this strategy to work, you need to feel really good about it. You need to feel like you have created something that you believe in and that You're sharing something that's going to benefit the person in front of you or the person that you're talking to or writing to. So put yourself in their shoes for a moment and imagine yourself. Often it would be an earlier version of yourself who really could use this resource you've created. And imagine if somebody else offered it to you and they said, here, I've got an email list. I'm going to help you through the email list. And here's a resource that's going to help you right away. How would you feel in that imaginary circumstance? Well, I imagine that you would feel excited and hopeful and happy. And you really need to get to that place of believing in the resource you're sharing in order for this project to take off, in order to really get the results that you're hoping for. I will tell you that I am incredibly proud of the free resources that I have created to help yoga teachers I invite yoga teachers who have specific needs around those resources to sign up for my emails and download them almost every day. Individually, I do, and I also have more mass ways of sharing them as well. And when I issue these invitations, when I offer these resources to yoga teachers, I feel really good about it. I'm giving them the fruit of my creative labor for nothing more than a chance to hear a bit more of my message and receive more benefit on my email list. By the way, if you're not yet on my email list and you want to check out some of those free resources, go to teachingyoga.net slash resources. This is linked in the show notes as well. Two of my more popular free resources are 100 Yoga Class Theme Ideas and a Business Startup Checklist. Okay, you've got a lead magnet and you're really proud of it, even if it's a bit of a rough draft. Now, how do you deepen your connection and motivate those folks to stay on your list and eventually work with you? I call this nurturing your email list. The first thing you need to do is pick a rhythm for emailing them that's consistent and that you can commit to. This could be once a quarter, once a month, every other week. I don't personally love that because it's harder to feel like it's an actual rhythm. And my favorite and least favorite is weekly. It's not easy to keep up with, but it does help build that trust that they know every single week I'm in their inbox, hopefully with a message that is supportive and inspiring. And from me, from my business, a podcast episode that's going to help them go deeper into whatever I talk about in the email. You don't need to have a podcast. You don't need to have a blog. You do not need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to your emails. If you theme your classes, you're probably already doing a lot of thought work and writing about your theme every week anyway, so why not include a bit of this in your email? A great starting point would be to send out one or two paragraphs touching on your theme of the week, your personal connection to it and how it applies universally, and then perhaps a simple call to action like asking them to respond with their thoughts or signing up and showing up for your class. Not everyone will appreciate the content you create and that is totally okay. That is normal. By writing to your email list consistently, you're going to improve your ability to write quickly and to write quality. This means that while your writing is in a rougher phase, you'll have fewer people reading it. And as your email list grows, the quality grows. So there's a bit of a snowball effect, which is really cool. All right. So those are the basics for how to start grow and nurture an email list. And once you have those basics down, you can start adding in some of the more advanced strategies like welcome sequences, tagging, segmentation, and automations. If you're interested in learning more about those advanced strategies, you might wanna check out my online mini course, Email Magic. It goes deeper into the examples of everything I talked about today, plus advanced strategies, and it also includes a bunch of templates and strategies to help save you time. You can get all the details and sign up at teachingyoga.net slash email magic. Now I promise to tell you a bit more about the email marketing platform. I personally use called ConvertKit. ConvertKit is an email marketing platform. That's both extremely robust and also relatively simple in their interface. Now, there's definitely a learning curve. There's always a learning curve when you start working with new software, but I find their their layout to be easier to learn and less cluttered than a lot of the other platforms out there. So the next bit of this episode is gonna be a behind-the-scenes look at ConvertKit. If you're not interested in hearing about this platform, you might wanna skip to the last few minutes of this episode. On the top menu of ConvertKit, there's basically five sub menu items. So there's five categories of things you can do in ConvertKit. These are grow, send, automate, earn, and learn. Grow is the place where you can find stats and information about all your subscribers and also your landing pages and forms, which is how people become subscribers. Landing pages and forms are tools that you will use to allow people to sign up for your list. You can definitely still do it manually through the back end, especially while you're connecting with people one on one. But I recommend setting up at least one landing page or form because that's going to allow people to subscribe for themselves and it will prevent you from having to do that work over and over. Little warning, though, do not let your process of creating your first landing page or form stop you from inviting people to join. Sometimes creating something like a landing page takes way more time than you imagined, and then it's very easy to use that as an excuse to not take action on the scary part, which is inviting people. The difference between a landing page and a form is that a landing page is a standalone page that ConvertKit will host. While a forum is a bit of code that you're going to embed in your website. So people can subscribe right from your website. Other than that, they're functionally the same, and it does not matter which one you choose, or you can have both the landing page might be a little easier to set up at first, depending on whether or not you have a website and how comfortable you are editing it, especially using code. The next section of ConvertKit is the send section. The send section includes broadcasts, sequences, email templates, and snippets. As I said earlier in this episode, broadcasts are the emails. So that's what you'll be using the most. You just click broadcast, click send a new, create a new broadcast, enter your content, and then hit send or schedule. And that's just the simplest way to email your list. Sequences are a bit more advanced. This is where you create multiple emails that are sent in order with a specific amount of time between emails. So it's usually like one day or one week. A common use for sequences is a welcome sequence, for example. Email templates are a place where I think ConvertKit could actually improve a bit, especially in their usability, because you really need to use code in order to create new templates for ConvertKit. There's maybe a way to purchase ConvertKit templates. I have not looked into that. But the reason I still recommend ConvertKit as my number one choice for email marketing is that I actually think it's better not to mess with a bunch of different fonts and colors and make your emails try to look pretty and instead keep it super simple and clear and quick, quick, quick. I try not to spend a ton of time on each email. Because ConvertKit is constantly adding new features, I believe and hope that they're gonna add better and easier to use templates in the future. But for now, I would actually ignore the template portion unless you're very comfortable with HTML. Finally, there's a new feature called Snippets, and this is where you can create reusable blocks of content to insert in your email, which is amazing. For example, if you have a workshop that you teach four times a year, you can create a snippet with the description of that workshop and then the next time you teach it, just go in and insert that snippet. All you need to do is change the dates and boom, you're good to go. So if you have any kind of content that you need to include in your emails regularly, that could be a big time saver. The next menu item is automate. And this is where we get into the more advanced features. So I just wanna give you a heads up about what's in store for the future, unless you're already pretty up to date with everything else that I've talked about in this, in this episode, you probably wanna wait with automations. Some of this is definitely touched on in Email Magic, the course I talked about earlier. So I'm just gonna give you a really brief intro here. Visual automations are where you can create a visual representation of a sequence of events that a new or an existing subscriber will go through. I'll give you an example. You can start the automation by submitting their contact information on a landing page. And then the next step of the automation might be sending them a sequence of emails. Then you can have a split where if they already have a certain tag, the automation ends. And if they don't have that tag, the tag is added. If this sounds really complicated and you're not sure what the benefit to this would be, don't worry about understanding it. I'm only explaining it to you because I want you to get a sense of how incredibly powerful this software is. It does so much. Also under automate is a section called rules where you can create triggers and actions. So it's like a snippet of those visual automations I was talking about, like one piece of it. And I don't usually use this section because I will create the automation. I'll create the rule um, when I'm actually using it instead of separately. But it's good to know what it's for if you're looking for ConvertKit, through ConvertKit. Next, the integrations is where you can connect ConvertKit with other pieces of software. So for example, Patreon or your Square website or your Stripe payment gateway. Then finally, under that section, RSS is a way that you can integrate your email list with your blog if you already have one so that every time you update your blog, ConvertKit automatically emails your list about it. I don't personally use this feature, and I probably wouldn't because I'm a little too picky about personalizing, but it might be a solution that works for you if you already have a blog and you want to figure out how to integrate more email without a lot of extra work. The next menu item is Earn, where you can add products, tip jars, and see your payouts. The nice thing about ConvertKit is they have a special relationship with Stripe that you can set yourself up to receive payments, whether that be tips or selling products, in a way that's easier than setting up Stripe on its own. Stripe is a payment gateway that will run credit cards for you. And when you set it up through ConvertKit, there's just fewer hoops to jump through so you can get set up faster, which is a nice thing, especially if you're just starting up. Then finally, the last menu item is Learn, where they have documentation, community, and what they call Creator University, which is more in-depth courses about email marketing. ConvertKit also has excellent customer support in my experience. So if you look through the documentation and you don't find what you're looking for, I would hop straight to reaching out to tech support. I've gotten often a response within just an hour or two. It could take longer, but The tech support people I have spoken to have always been extremely helpful and I really appreciate that both for myself, but also for my students and my clients who might be less comfortable with technology. It helps so much to have a human being walking you through certain things. Okay. That's the overview of ConvertKit and what ConvertKit can do. I really love it. If you're interested in trying out ConvertKit, I'm an affiliate for them. And that means if you use my link you can get a thousand subscribers for free, which is more than you would get if you signed up without my link. I think you would get 500. You can find that special link to sign up and get a thousand free subscribers in the show notes of this episode and also on my resources page at teachingyoga.net slash resources. Before I let you go, I'm going to finish out this episode with a few more general email marketing tips And you can use these tips if you already have an existing email list and you feel pretty good about it, or if you're just starting out. So first tip is focus on quantity over quality. And I know that that might sound kind of counterintuitive and maybe counter to your nature, but bear with me here. Stick with me. If you send out a lot of emails, the quality is going to improve much faster than if you put a lot of pressure on yourself to make each email really, really good. In fact, what tends to happen when you have this sense of each email has to be really good is that you end up delaying sending it and you write even fewer emails than you thought you were going to write. So let about 80% of your emails be totally average, like, okay, nothing special to write home about. But over time, that level of average is going to really elevate with practice. Tip number two is do not worry about unsubscribes, even welcome unsubscribes, because anyone who unsubscribes from your list is improving your list quality. It is taking somebody who's not interested in what you're offering off your list so that your list is more concentrated with people who are interested. And... On that same note, if you've had an email list for at least a year and you've never done an email list scrub, that is where you remove the inactive people from your list. This will improve your deliverability rates and, again, the quality of your list overall. If you have a small email list, it might feel uh, like really uncomfortable to take anybody off of it. But the number of people on your list is a vanity metric. It doesn't actually matter. What matters is how many people, how many of those people are paying attention, how many of those people care. At this point, my email list is big enough and I get enough subscribes and unsubscribes every day that I don't wanna keep track of that. That would just be extra information that wouldn't be helpful for me on a daily basis. But when my email list was smaller and I got an email every time somebody went unsubscribe, I used to take it really personally. It would feel like an insult to me, a a referendum on my work. And so I started working with that. I started looking at that and being like, why am I putting myself through this experience of disappointment and um, just questioning myself because somebody opted not to be on my list anymore? And in order to shift that, I started to do a deliberate practice of gratitude that every time somebody would unsubscribe, I would thank them and I would deliberately, consciously release them and wish them well. So that helped me shift things. And I hope that whether you end up doing a more deliberate practice like that or you just remove the notifications from your uh, – Settings, you know, you can actually do that. You don't have to be notified every time people unsubscribe. I think a lot of email marketing platforms have that by default, but there's definitely a way to to remove that option. Either way, make it a point to yourself that it's not only okay for people to unsubscribe, it's actually really a positive thing in the long run and scrubbing your email list you can either just go in and do a search for anybody who hasn't opened an email a single email in let's say 3 months or 6 months whatever time frame feels right for you i would say 3 months like if somebody hasn't opened an email in 3 months they're not paying attention they're not they're really not an active subscriber and so they're better off not on your list now If you scrub your email list, there will be maybe a few people who say, hey, you took me off your list and I didn't want to be taken off your list. The great thing is they can always resubscribe. So you don't even have to think about when you remove someone or they remove themselves that it has to be a permanent thing. This is uh, (laughs) the type of relationship that can ebb and flow. Okay, my next tip is to always include a call to action and preferably. Preferably no more than one call to action per email, but you can include that call to action multiple places in the same email. What I mean by call to action is a tiny bit of homework, a link to click, an action to take. Now, sometimes that call to action is sign up for my class or sign up for my workshop, but sometimes it's as simple as hit reply and let me know X your favorite colors, I mean, something related obviously to the content of the email. Let me know if you can relate to this. Or take this survey, click this link and answer three questions on this Google form that'll help me figure out what to offer next, something like that. The great thing about calls to action is the way that it was explained to me many years ago is that you're, setting the expectation that your emails mean that they take some kind of action. And that's a positive thing. The other thing is that you can, it helps you measure even among the people who are opening your emails, who's actually reading them and who's like most engaged. And finally, I think it helps you just get comfortable and get used to making invitations to the people on your email list. My next tip is about formatting. And specifically, I want to encourage you to keep your formatting super, super simple. Think of it as how would you write to your best friend? If you could write your marketing emails with similar formatting as you would write to a friend of yours, they're going to feel more personal. Now, if you tend to use a lot of long run-on sentences and long paragraphs in your emails to your friends. That's something that you would want to shift because you want, you really want to make these easy to read, easy to take the information in, but all your emails should be one column. So not two columns, minimal images, only use images if they're really important. Don't use them just extra. Then when it comes to readability, readability, You wanna make your sentences as short as possible. So once you've written your email, you can do a quick scan through and ask yourself, okay, could this sentence actually be two sentences? If so, every time you add a period, you make it easier for your subscribers, for their brains to take it in. And also keep your paragraphs short. And that's really helpful because a lot of people are gonna be reading on mobile and long paragraphs start to feel overwhelming when you're reading on a small screen. It's also really helpful to use some text hierarchy, especially if you're sending an email that is leading to an invitation for them to sign up for something. In your regular emails, especially if you're keeping them relatively short, you can just use paragraphs and you don't have to worry about headers or bold or italic unless that's just part of how you write. But when you are sending your marketing emails, your emails where there's a specific invitation, then you want your students and your subscribers to be able to scan and pick out the important parts. So for example, who, what, when, where, and why, that's gonna be a piece that they're gonna wanna jump to to make sure that this is really for them. So you would use headers, Um, That could be bigger font, bolder font, something like that to help them scan through the email. And because this might not be that it's helpful for them the first time. It's like they might read it all the way through, but then they're like, oh, yeah, I am interested in this. Now, when was that again? You want to make that easy for them to find. Okay. I think that is plenty for today. It may be more than some of you ever wanted to know about how to start, grow, and nurture your email list, but I do hope it was helpful for you. I hope you learned something. Even if you already have an email list that you feel good about, I hope you got at least a couple new strategies or tips or even a sense of confidence that you're on the right track. And if you don't have an email list, I hope you feel inspired to create one with the understanding that this does not have to be an enormous project. In fact, I recommend that you don't make it an enormous project, make it small and simple and doable, and then build on that over time. Connecting with your students through email can be really fulfilling, rewarding, and fun. And if you have a business, if you are trying to make your living teaching yoga, it's just absolutely essential. That's all I've got this week. As always, make sure you're not so focused on growing your business and learning all this tech stuff that you neglect your personal practice because that's the core of your source as a yoga teacher. I love business and I love technology, but what I love most about it is using it in service of my practice, and in service of spreading the benefits of yoga and a regular yoga practice throughout the world. Thank you so very much for listening, and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.